Hey, let's start with a little TV trivia today. Now, I'm pretty sure the boomers are going to be able to guess this. Not sure about you millennials out there or younger, but I'm thinking of a TV series. It started around 1971, originally ran through 1978. There have been various iterations of it since that time. The series is named after the primary character who is a detective. And some of the characteristics of this detective are a rumpled raincoat. Just, yeah. I've got like five clues and you got it on the first one. Okay, so it's Columbo, Columbo. Now, and the last clue was this. He had a tendency to leave a room and then he would come back in and say, oh, there's one more thing. One more, just one more thing. And so I'm going to pull a Columbo today because I have just one more thing to say about this sermon series that we've been in. So this will make nine uh, Sundays in this sermon series called Rhythm. It's 10 if you count uh, Scott Blount's message on practicing the presence of God. But last week I was focused in on for those who have not begun the daily devotional habits that we've been talking about in Rhythm to get started. Sort of a, a motivational message to, if we're not currently doing that, to get started. So I thought, having said that, I want to do one more message along the lines of having gotten started. And I know a lot of people were already doing these things, these spiritual disciplines. But if we are just starting, to make sure that we persevere, that we follow through, that we don't quit, we don't give up. Romans 8, 6, Paul writes, If our minds are ruled by the Spirit, we will have life and peace. So the sermon series Rhythm is all about being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit who indwells all Christians, being connected to Him. So we receive His power. And if our minds are controlled by the Holy Spirit, that leads to life and peace for us. That's our end game. That's where we're going. That's what we want. We want that inner life and peace. We want a life of holiness, walking with a clear conscience before the Lord. So today it's all about persevering. I have four things to say about persevering. Number one, let's persevere in the daily rhythms. So we're just going to do a review here. Romans 6.22, do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. <clears throat> Sound like an echo to you guys at all? Is that just me? Okay, no echo. Do those things that lead to holiness and, re and result in eternal life. Just think about that verse. There are things that we can do, we do, that lead to holiness in our life. They result in holiness and lead to eternal life. Very powerful. What are those things? They are more than the things that I've identified in this sermon series. I've, I've identified five. The things I'm talking about in this series are daily things. They are more than that. But th these are the ones that we focused in on. Let's review them again. You should be able to, if you've been here through all nine weeks, you know where I'm going. You know what I'm about to say. You may be tired of hearing it. I'm not tired of talking about it. I love this series. One of the reasons I'm delaying leaving it. But here they are. The first one is Bible engagement. We're going to do this every day. We're going to engage the Bible. And I say Bible engagement because some folks read the Bibles and some folks like me, I listen to the Bible every day on my app. But Bible engagement, let me give you a quote on this from Mark Moore. He writes, there's a reason so many people want to know the Bible better. They know the Bible will make them better. The positive impact of scripture on individuals, families, and society has been proved Time and again, one study involving 100,000 people over eight years shows dramatic results. 
The research shows the research showed that those who engage the Bible four or more times a week experience far less destructive behavior, less drunkenness, porn use, sexual sin, and gambling. These results were not from guilt manipulation, but were rather the mark of personal transformation. The positive message of Scripture allowed individuals to reduce bitterness, destructive thoughts, isolation, the inability to forgive, and loneliness. Bible engagement improves our self-esteem, family structure, and social interactions. It is the single most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. Getting to know the Bible better makes us better. So that was the first daily rhythm. We're going to engage the Bible every day. The second one, of course, is prayer. So Bible and prayer form the foundation of being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. Dick Eastman has written a book called The Hour That Changes the World. Great book on prayer. Very practical, very motivational, and very short, brief, easy to read. But he writes, what we do for the Lord is entirely dependent upon what we are in the Lord. What we are in the Lord depends upon what we receive from the Lord. And what we receive from the Lord is directly proportional to the time we spend alone with the Lord in prayer. It's what we are, it's based on what we receive, it's based on our prayer. He says, there is no true spiritual growth apart from the devotional habit. Now, he's just an author, he's not inspired, but just think if what he says is true, there is no true spiritual growth apart from the daily habit, the daily rhythm, Bible study and prayer. So those are the two foundational. Now, these next three sort of build upon that. They're best practices. We've added Christian music, engaging in Christian music daily. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mark Moore, music bypasses the gatekeeper of the soul. Worship music exalts God, and we get caught in the upward draft. Did you feel that on that last song we sang? I certainly did. It lifts us to places we want to be. Worship music. The heavier your past baggage, the more helium of worship you will need to raise you up where you want to be. Christian music. Fourthly is daily exercise. Okay, just doing something to maintain our fitness. Daily exercise. Quadriplegic. Johnny Erickson Tata writes, get healthy, eat right, stay hydrated. So you can redeem the time, make the most of the moment, encourage others, bless your family, advance the gospel, and honor God. Oh, what a rich reward you will receive for taking such good care of the temple in which the Holy Spirit lives. And then I call this last one first runner up. It's maybe not in the same category of the others, and not one Christian in a hundred does this, but I've added it to my routine this past year. It's made a huge difference for me, and that's daily journaling. Daily journaling. So we ask ourselves in our journal, what am I feeling? We ask ourselves, what am I grateful for? We take what we've read in that year's one-year Bible reading, reading and we write it out. This is what I've learned. This is what I've true of me. We turn it into a prayer. Journaling. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Do you know the king, the leader of Israel, was to be both a reader and a writer? The king must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll 
In the presence of the Levitical priest, he must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. And that way, he will learn to fear the Lord as God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. So the king of Israel was to write out by hand the Bible at that time. It would have been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Write it out. That's his personal scroll. And he was instructed to conduct his daily devotions from his handwritten copy of the Word of God. There's something about writing it out. So, talk about perseverance. Those are the things we want to persevere in. Secondly, persevere with identity. It will help us to persevere, not to quit, not to give up. If we understand these are things we do because of who we are. Romans 8.14, all who are led by God's Spirit are God's what? Sons and daughters. Paul writes again in Galatians, because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So we're not just checking the list, read the Bible, check that, pray, check that. We do these things because that's our identity. That's what sons and daughters of God do. Remember Jesus when he was 12 years old and his parents took him on a a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And then they were going back home. And as they're returning there in the caravan, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. Remember that? So, hey, I thought you had Jesus. No, I thought you had Jesus. So they hurried back to Jerusalem. They searched for him for three days. And when they finally found him, where was he? Yeah, he was in the temple. He was in the temple. Think about that. He's in the temple, the place of the word, where the word is, the the place of prayer, the temple, the place of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And when they found him, they said, you had us worried sick. And, And Jesus said, well, didn't you know I needed to be about my father's business? Which means that, among other things, by the age of 12, Jesus was cognizant of the fact that he was not just Mary and Joseph's son. He was uniquely the Son of God. And what went along with being the Son of God? The Father's business. And what was the Father's business? The temple, worship, the Word, prayer, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's the same for us. When we understand this is our identity, these are things we do because of who we are. Think of two men who are trying to quit smoking. They're trying to quit smoking. Each is offered a cigarette. And the first one says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit smoking. All right, that's okay. But the second one, he answers, no thank you, I'm not a smoker. He has changed his perspective of his identity. It's going to help us to persevere when we understand we do these because of who we are. All right, we're persevering today. The third way we're going to persevere, we persevere until the inversion Until the inversion. Now think about David. I want to read a couple of Psalms here. Think about David, king of Israel in the Old Testament, who wrote most of the Psalms. Do you think that David had to force himself to get out there and write those Psalms? Did David have to force himself to get up early in the morning, maybe before the sunrise, and spend time with God and read Scripture and meditate and reflect and write Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Psalm 57, 8. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O liar and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing of your praises among the nations. Psalm 42. 
As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Now I understand, when we're first trying to establish a devotional habit, and I know many people have been doing this for years, I, I get that, but for someone who's just starting out and trying to get started and establish that rhythm, that habit, that practice, it can be difficult. Sometimes we got to set that alarm. Maybe we hit the snooze button a couple of times. And then we gradually grow to where we're not hitting the snooze button anymore. Maybe to the point where we don't even have to set the alarm. But initially, we may have to push through. And there may be fits and starts. If we will persevere, at some point, an inversion takes place. To where we're not having to work at it. We're not having to force ourselves. We're not having to push through. We're more like David. When can I go and be with the Lord? I promise you there are people here in this room who could testify that they've been having their quiet time for so long in the morning that if they miss it, they feel out of sorts the rest of the day. They'll move heaven and earth that they have to to get time to be with God. Sociologist Daniel Chambly, he writes about how top performers view hard work. And he uses competitive swimming here as an example. He writes, at the higher levels of competitive swimming, something like an inversion of attitude takes place. The very features of the sport that the average swimmer, the sea swimmer, finds unpleasant, the top level swimmer enjoys. What others see as boring, swimming back and forth over a black line for two hours, they find peaceful, meditative, often challenging, or therapeutic. They enjoy hard practices, look forward to difficult competitions, try to set difficult goals. He says, coming into the 5.30 a.m. practices at Mission Vejo, many of the swimmers were lively, laughing, talking, enjoying themselves, perhaps appreciating the fact that most people would positively hate doing it. It is incorrect, he says, to believe that top athletes suffer great sacrifices to achieve their goals. Often they don't see what they do as sacrificial at all. They love it. Remember last week, I was talking about the Polger sisters, these three sisters who grew up in one family and they were all chess prodigies. They were chess champions. We talked about how their father, Laszlo, kind of used them as an experiment. He thought you could do this with any kid of average intelligence. And so he raised them to be dedicated to chess and they read books on chess and the pictures on their walls were chess champions and they entered tournaments and they kept files on those tournaments and their competitors. And some of us may have thought, what a way to grow up. What a drudge that must have been. He must have been a tyrant. But in interviews, those Polgar sisters all said they loved their childhood. They loved playing chess. Laszlo says Sophia would sneak off into the bathroom. She's supposed to be sleeping because she could turn the light on in there and mess with the chess pieces. And he went in and he said, Sophia, go to bed. Leave the pieces alone. She said, they won't leave me alone. It's not a drudge. We don't have to force ourselves. At, this will happen at some point. If there's anyone here who's struggling and it's fits and starts right now, push through, persevere. At some point, an inversion will take place and an absolute passion and love for time spent with God and the word and prayer and music will take hold. Persevere to the inversion. All right. So we're just saying things. 
We want to persevere in the devotional habit, in the rhythms. And the fourth thing I want to say is persevere again. If we tried and stopped at some point in the past and, well, that just doesn't work for me, try again. The Hebrew writer says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. Isn't that an interesting statement right there? Why do we think this holy living thing is supposed to be so easy? Work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. We have to trust the process. Say, well, it didn't work for me. Maybe it's not going to work right now, but it's going to work eventually. James Clear writes, a good choice may go unrewarded for a long time. A hallmark of any compounding process is that the greatest rewards are delayed. Things may not really take off until years later. Be patient. Keep working. We're not always in the best position to judge our progress. Hey, it's not making any difference in my life. We're not always in the best position to say that. Remember Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament? Elijah. Probably the the pinnacle of his prophetic career, the high point, was this contest on Mount Carmel between Elijah as the prophet of God and the 450 prophets of Baal. And they had a contest. And Elijah and God won. And the 450 prophets were put to death. And when wicked Queen Jezebel heard about that, she sent a message to Elijah. She says, God help me if you're not dead by the end of this day. So now Elijah is running for his life. Now he's at the low point of his prophetic career. And this is what he said to God. 1 Kings 19. I've had enough, Lord. Just take my life. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. <clears throat> They've killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the, only, I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. That was his perspective. And God sent him a message and said, Elijah, you don't have all of that exactly right. You're not the only one left. He said, I've still got 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And what he did, he sent some food to Elijah, fed him, gave him some rest, gave him some exercise, go on a hike to Mount Sinai. He's addressing the body. He He gave him a new fresh word, word of God. He answered his prayer, gave him a friend, and renewed a new vision and mission for Elijah. Paul says in Galatians, those who live to please the Spirit will harvest Everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Remember Jesus' sobering message to the Ephesian Christians in the book of Revelation. This great church of Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. They did not love God as much as they did at first. Let me ask you a question, rhetorical, don't have to answer out loud. Is is anybody here in the best shape of their lives? No, No. you did answer out loud, but that's the answer. I'm looking around. There may be a couple here, maybe in their 20s or whatever. You may be. 
The rest of us, no, we're all aging out of our bodies. We're doing the best we can with what we have. But spiritually speaking, we should be in the best shape of our lives. There shouldn't be a time we look back, boy, I was really fired up for God back then. When I came up out of the waters of baptism, man, I loved God. I loved Christ. I was committed. I was devoted. The things that have happened since then kind of fallen away. That should not be the case. We should be in the best shape of our lives spiritually. It should not be Jesus looking at you and me and saying, you don't love me like you used to. You need to repent and go back and do those things that flowed from love for God and lead to love for God. What things might those be? He doesn't specify. I got to wonder if he's not talking about the very things we're talking about in these series. The things in which we connect with God and the Holy Spirit and we hear from God and we're lifted up on the helium of worship. Those kinds of things. It was July of 1961. 1961. And the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter. They lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Packers had thought about this brutal loss the entire offseason. And now, finally, training camp has arrived. It's time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level, start working on the details that would help them win a championship. Their coach had a different idea. What was their coach's name? Yeah, Vince Lombardi. He had a different idea. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. He began with the most elemental statement of all. Some of you know how he started. He held up a pigskin before his team and said, gentlemen, this is a football. Lombardi was coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning the biggest prize their sport could offer, and yet he started from the very beginning focusing on the fundamentals. His team would go on to become the best in the league at the task that everyone else took for granted. Six months later, the Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to win the NFL championship. The 1961 season was the beginning of Vince Lombardi's reign as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. In total, Lombardi won five NFL championships in the span of seven years, including three in a row. He never coached a team with a losing record, and he always focused on the foundation, the basics, the fundamentals. And it wasn't just Vince Lombardi. Lots of great coaches have done this. ESPN has named one athletic coach as the GOAT, the greatest of all time in any sport. ESPN has declared this person to be the greatest coach of all time of any sport. Anyone want to guess who that is? Come on, give it a shot. Who said that? John Wood. Was that you, Bob? Who said John Wood? Right behind you. Yeah, John Wooden. And I think I heard more than one person say that. John Wooden. UCLA basketball coach, incredible coach, greatest of all time. He would start off his basketball season. And some of you know this. He would start off the season. Every season he would start off. He would take his players, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, showing them how to put on their socks and shoes and lace up their basketball shoes so they wouldn't get a blister. That's where he started with the basics. 
We all start with the basics. It's not just coaching athletics. It's in the spiritual realm and arena as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bible. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, uh, we need the life and the peace that comes from being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. We need that so desperately. There's so much sadness and drama going on in our lives. There's so much pain and suffering and trauma. There's so much that's discouraging in this fallen world. Where else are we going to find rest? Where else are we going to get some peace if not from the Holy Spirit who indwells us? We pray that you and even He, that Holy Spirit, will help us to persevere in these rhythms and these habits, not just something that we check off, but the means, the catalyst by which we connect with your power that you've made available to our lives. We don't want to quit. We don't want to give up. Help us to persevere, to see ourselves as lifelong pursuers of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.